Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Conversations with Buddy. We drop a new podcast every Friday morning with a new podcast that will impact someone, and we hope that someone is you. I uh, just want to say a quick thank you to everyone who listens each week. We do appreciate you and and that you listen to the stories of our guests. Please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, give us a review, and share this podcast with your friends, your family, and on your favorite social media platforms. We want to get these messages out to the people and to impact the world one testimony at a time. This morning, I'm excited to introduce my guest, Matt Miller. Welcome, Matt. Hey, thanks, buddy. Dude, it's great to have you here. Oh, so good to be here. Hey, so I was just thinking, do you go by Matt or Matthew? Uh, I actually let people have their preference. I'm comfortable with both. You've been called worse, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure. I have been called worse. <laughs> so, yeah, no, uh, I let people have their preference, what they choose. Okay. So, Matt, it is, man. Perfect. Well, let me do a quick intro of you, and then we'll kind of dive into your story. Cool. Can't wait to hear it. Well, first of all, you and I just met this morning for the first time. Yes. We have lots of mutual acquaintances, Tim Davis, Matt Macera, Armando, Man, do you know Manny? Manny Martinez, Manny Martinez. Rick Saffields, Rick Travis Youngs. Man, yeah. rough crowd. Rough crowd. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's what I know about you. Uh, you've been married for about nine years to your wife. Hey, what's your wife's name? My wife's name is Janita. Janita. Cool. We're going to figure out how you guys how, how you found the girl to marry. You also own uh, Miller's Barbecue. Mm-hmm. There's a story behind that. You take care of two senior citizens full-time in your home. You're currently writing a book. Yeah. Oh, that's going to be awesome. And then you graduated out of foster care. So tell me where you graduated from, uh, here in Salem or? So I graduated from Brookings Harbor High uh, down in Brookings, Oregon. So last town on the Southern Oregon coast before I hit California. Um, My adopted parents started a church down there and we moved down there when I was 12 and that's where I graduated high school. Okay. Okay. Well, cool. Well, let's dive in a little bit. So uh, I know you moved down there, but where were you born at? So I was born in Albany, Oregon. Okay. Um, born to Daniel and Judith Hendricks. Okay. Um, and then on my sixth birthday, put into my first foster home. So in 1995. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Um, had two sisters younger than me and Amanda and Sarah, and we were in the same foster home for two and a half years. So that was a blessing. That doesn't happen to a lot of people. Like you mentioned, my friend Armando had a yeah. lot, of, lot of homes. Yeah, I was blessed to have one at that time. And then eight and a half, we got adopted. Uh, adopted into a family that had seven kids. They had two of their own. They adopted a group of five, and then they adopted a group of three. So I grew up with ten kids. Yeah. And then um, through that family, the religious standing, religious beliefs were so fundamental, so yeah. warped that discipline became abuse. Abuse became really bad abuse. And at 16, we called the cops and my adopted parents were arrested. Gotcha. Take me back though. So you got put into foster care on your sixth birthday. Yeah. Okay. So first of all, your, your sisters are older than you? Younger. Younger. How, how old are they? So Amanda's two years younger than I am. Okay, so, so she's, she was in four. Yep. She was four and Sarah was three. And so you, you're now getting out of your current home. What happened? What caused you to go into foster care? Yeah, so my biological father was uh, physically abusive. Um, There were a few incidences as a kid where other people in our lives were sexually abusive to me. Uh, Babysitter's son, who is out of prison now, but was still in prison up until a couple Mm -hmm. years ago for multiple people, not just me, but, and then my dad's best friend also who lived in our home for a little while. And then um, when I was a kid, I was 
a boy who liked fire. I thought it was cool. Yeah. And I had burned a hole in my sheet and I was really scared of the abuse I was going to get from it. And so I blamed it on my younger sister and he took her into the kitchen, turned the burners of the stove on high and burned her hands on the stove. So that was that last incident that caused the cops to pull it from mm. the home. Wow. It's a sad story. Yeah, it, was, it took until I was 16 before I actually reconciled that with my sister. She honestly believed she did it her whole life. And when I was 16, I, I told her, I said, that wasn't you, it was me. And I had to ask for forgiveness. And she was mad at me for a long time for that. Were you guys close up until that point? And then all of a sudden she goes, what? what? You? Well, we were, we were close um, as kids until we were put into foster care again. And that separation started to grow some distance. And that was also- Because you guys were in different homes at that point yeah. in time. So- so foster care at sixth grade, you get you all get adopted in one home. And then at eight and a half, when you're eight and a half is when you got put back into foster care? No. So at, at six years old, I was put into foster care. Eight and a half, I was adopted. That's right. Oh, yeah. eight and a half, you were adopted. Yeah. So the three of gotcha. us were adopted. It was December 8th of 97. Yeah. Adopted by the Miller family. Yeah. Which is now why I have the name Miller. Yeah. Um, so I went from Hendrix to Miller. And then we were there until it was supposed to be... Um, it was halfway through my junior year, mm-hmm. March of my junior year. Okay. Gotcha. And remind me what happened at, what caused you to get back out of the, or what happened with the adoption at that point in time? So with my adopted parents, um, when we were first were adopted, things were good. Yeah. I, I thought discipline seemed pretty normal. Yep. I mean, kids get spanked for doing bad things. Sure. I, I was a kid. I did bad things. Um, but when the discipline became, I mean, the worst time my brother and I, um, so because of the sexual abuse I had when I was a kid, I was a little more sexually curious early and we had siblings that weren't biologically related. We looked, we touched, I mean, that's what we did. My adopted dad found out about it and I was hit 96 times with a Chikari paddle. And so he did that with me and my brother. It was a two and a half hour beating. And that just got worse and worse over the years. And one of the final straws was my adopted mom grabbed a metal table leg and my brother JT was one that would push back. He pushed back, he pushed back and I was submissive. And she grabbed that table leg and just started hitting him with it. And he had cuts and stuff on his back from that. And so when I was 16, I had attempted suicide at five different times at that point because I wanted out, the abuse hurt. So much pain, so much hurt inside. That was the only way I could see getting out of it. And God just kept sparing me every single time. Gun to my head, six dead bullets. Put a knife to my throat. I couldn't move my arm. I tried to drown myself underwater, and I started to breathe. I hung in my bedroom for two hours, and my brother cut me down. I was just really weird, random circumstances that God said, no, it's not your time yet. So for me, that I was like, okay, fine. I can't die. God won't let me die, and so I'm just going to wait until I'm 18, and I'm out of here. I'm going to join the Marines. I'm going to do something. I'm going to just make my dad angry. When the abuse kind of reached that pinnacle in my mind that, okay, I've got five younger siblings that I need to look after. I need to think about them and not just me. And so they were in Salem. They were trying to sell a home that we had owned here in Salem, and I snuck a cell phone while they were gone, and we called the cops, shared the story. They sent us to social services. We shared the story with them, and then about a week later, they came to the school on a Friday, interviewed all of us. I was the last one to be interviewed, and they said, we're going to remove you from the home today. Wow. Thank God. Yeah. So that was March 15th of 2007, and then my adopted dad, while he was in jail awaiting trial, 
uh, he actually had a heart attack and died March 30th of that year. No kidding. Yeah. One of the cool redemptive stories that came from that. So growing up in the church, I mean, very strict church, so I didn't have my own personal relationship with God. It was one of those, they had us pray a prayer, we got baptized, that was our initiation into church. Sure. Um, but one of the cool redemptive stories that I got to hear after he died, his attorney came to us and said, hey, I just want to share this with you. The inmates in jail did a chalk outline where he started kneeling and praying every day, and they labeled it Pastor Joe Miller's Praying Spot. Hmm. And what I found out from my other one of his biological daughters is after he died, it was the day before he died, he called her because he could talk with her. And he said, I realize now everything I did was wrong. And I pray one day God will allow us to be a family again. Hmm. And the next day he was gone. So his mom and I have talked a lot about that. She passed away last year. But, How old was she? Um, I don't remember. To be honest, I didn't yeah. know my grandparents' age. They always said yeah. I was 39 and yeah. never turned 40. Yeah, exactly. Okay. My grandpa finally started aging one year because yeah. my cousin said, Grandpa, you're 40 this year. <laughs> and so he started aging, but we never really knew their age. Gotcha. But when before she passed away, we would talk, and we said, we think God decided to spare him from man's judgment of what he did yeah. and said, I'm going to bring you home now. Now that you have your heart right with me, I'm going to take you home. Because he was 47 and died of a massive coronary. Wow. Young. That's heavy, man. Yeah. Really heavy. But then, okay, so so at that point in time, you're now out of, you're, you're, your, own, you're your adopted dad goes to prison, dies in prison. Where do you guys go at this point in time? So then we're placed in temporary placement foster homes until yeah. um, they could find us somewhere to go because it was six kids. Yeah. Um, three boys, three girls. And so we were put into two separate homes. And then over the next year and a half, we were, my sisters really, really fortunately got to stay in one home. Um, the foster dad, they renewed their license just to keep them. He was the warden of Pelican Bay State Prison mm -hmm. there in Northern California. My sister, Sarah, still calls them mom and dad, still does family holidays with them. I mean, they, they became close. Yeah. My brothers and I, we went to a second home, then we were split up, then two of us went to a third home while another one went over here, then we were split again, so we were all in different homes. So by the time I graduated, I was in five homes. Hmm. Um, last home wasn't really that great, and I was ready to report them to DHS as well, because I was all about, okay, if things are not good, if people are mistreating me, yeah. I'm, I'm not gonna stand for it anymore. And so there were homes where basically we were slave labor, they got money. Their kids got to do whatever they wanted to do, sit on the couch, play video games. We did all the cleaning, cooking, chores. I mean, there was one property I mowed three acres with a push mower, and their kids got to just sit inside. I'm like, this is not right. This is not okay. So it was never physical. It was just labor intensive slave labor. or slave labor. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, I've got to do something about this. So bounced around five homes. The last home was very similar, and I was like, you know, I've got two more months. I'll just stick it out. Because you're 17, you're going to be 18. Well, 18. I was 19. Oh, you're, okay. Yeah. So Got I it. graduated high school at 19. They allowed me to stay in the system because I was still a foster kid. Yeah. Um, the reason I was 19 versus 18 when I graduated yeah. is with my adopted family, we were out of the school system. We were homeschooled. But from fourth grade until I was supposed to be a sophomore in high school, we worked. So I remodeled five homes in a church as slave labor for my parents, which I learned a lot of skills. But it was a lot of skills through, oh, you didn't do it right. We're going to beat you and you got to redo it. Oh, okay. you didn't do that right. Beat you, redo it. So that's 
how I learned a lot of what I know how to do, mm. but I never went to school. And so when my adopted mom finally got sick enough that she couldn't renew her license, yeah. the state said, okay, you need to put him in the public school system. So it was supposed to be halfway through my sophomore year, tested at sixth grade reading and writing arithmetic level. At your sophomore year. At my sophomore year. And they pushed me back to freshman year. So this is February of the freshman year. And then I still managed to graduate in three and a half years. Nice job. So I worked hard. I took extra classes. I did what I needed to. So real quick, um, your adopted dad went to prison. What about your adopted mom? What happened with her? So my adopted mom was sentenced to three years. She served a year and a half, got out on good behavior, and she currently lives in Colorado with her parents. Are you close with her? Uh, So funny thing, um, and I know we'll touch on it. So one of the gals that I take care of full-time, Kathy, we've talked a lot about God and forgiveness and what he commands us to do. And I'm sitting in a garage that we turned into my wife's in my bedroom when her mom moved in with us. We had a two bedroom duplex, needed a third room. So my wife and I turned the garage into our bedroom and we slept in the garage. Um, But I'm sitting out there and we're talking with Kathy and she has uh, some resentment, some hardship from her life. And I was talking with her. I said, you know, God calls us to forgive and not just forgive, but to forgive and move forward, Mm -hmm. to forgive and walk in relationship with the person still. And that's love. And as I'm talking about this, I start getting convicted because I had a relationship in my life, which was my adopted mom, that I hadn't done that with. I tell people, oh, no, I forgive her. I mean, I forgave her for what she did, but I refuse to talk to her. I refuse to. I can't have her in my life right now. But when I read the Bible and it talks about forgiveness, it doesn't say forgive and keep them at a distance. Hmm. No, it says forgive and love them. Forgive and walk forward. Forgive and be in relationship. And so it's like, I'm not doing that. So I, I paused the conversation right there and yeah. I said, I need to take care of something. Yeah. So I reached out and I sent her a message. So right now we're still just kind of on messaging terms, but I know God eventually will hmm. restore my heart enough that I'll make that first phone call and start to reintroduce that back into my life. Yeah. That's, that's interesting how God, we can see other people that aren't forgiving and they're struggling with that. It's funny how God or the Spirit of God will convict us when we we're, we're missing that we're we're blinded in some of those areas. Yeah. So, well, tell me how you met your wife. Uh, kind of walk through that journey, or was there a part you also helped uh, take care of two senior citizens? Right? Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about that first before we talk about your wife? Because that may be. So I'll, I'll do the met my wife first. So that's, that happened first. Yeah. Um, so I actually had just gone through a divorce. Okay. Um, I was living in Idaho, yeah. uh, went to Northwest Nazarene University, yeah. um, which is actually part of my salvation story. So I went there, um, left Brookings, Oregon from my last foster home. This music pastor at the Nazarene church was my idol at the time. He yeah. was the guy. He was so happy. He had an amazing family, yeah. had this love for God, and it, he had something I didn't have. And I didn't know what it was. I just knew... I needed to be like him. Whatever whatever he was doing, I needed to be like him. So I was like, I'm going to go to NNU. I'm going to study to be a music pastor. That's the key. That's that's what it is. And so I went there. My first year, I met this gal. Uh, we started dating. We became intimate. We ended up getting married right after my freshman year. Um, had a son together right after my sophomore year. Uh, Jared Matthew Miller. He's 13 now. Um, so he's starting to grow. Yeah. Um, and then two and a half years into our marriage, 
I had stepped out of school working three jobs. I was a stalker boy at Target, unloading trucks, stocking the shelves, doing all that from four to about 11 in the morning. And then from one to 10 PM, I was working at a furniture store, building furniture, warehouse work. And then I was also a music pastor at a small Nazarene church in Caldwell, Idaho. Wow! So I was doing all that seven days a week, working 92 hours a week. And I was at work on a Saturday and I came home and the house was empty. Everything was packed up. She left. Okay. And so. How old were you at that age? Uh, I was 22. 22. You've been married yeah. for how long? We were married two and a half years. Okay. Yeah. And so I didn't know what to do. I was trying to fight for that. Um, pornography was really heavy in my life at that oh, time. Yeah. And she said, you know, that's the last straw. I'm out. And so she left. And uh, over a little bit of time, she got the divorce. She used uh, my past of being molested and abused um, against me in court and said, her attorney said, if you want everything, you want this, what you do. And said, I don't feel like the home could be a safe environment because of his past. Mm. People who have been abused become abusers. Yeah. And the judge weaned in her favor and said, okay, if you don't feel that way, here you go. And so I lost custody of my son. I had one day supervised visitation only. And then at that time, I took a traveling construction job because I was just angry. I was mad, didn't know what to do. So I took a traveling steel construction job, ended up in Albany, tearing down the paper mill down there. Mm -hmm. And at that point, then I got a notice that I was losing all that, the, my rights, essentially. And so that's when I attempted my sixth attempt at suicide. So I've done it, tried to attempt six times. Mm -hmm. But I was like, I lost everything. What else do I have? And what's really crazy about that whole story this was in July. In May, I was sitting in my in-law's living room. He's a Nazarene pastor up in Quincy, Washington. Okay. Sitting in their living room. It was just after the church service, and my mother-in-law looked at me, and she said, Matt, are you saved? Ooh. She had asked me that question a bunch, and I never really could figure out why. And I always said, yeah, yeah, I did that when I was eight, got adopted. We sat at the table. We prayed a prayer. I got back. Yeah, I'm saved. That day, I couldn't say yes. That day, I mean, it took them a lot of time to break down the walls of pride of, I put up these walls, these barriers, yeah. these protection, and they were breaking down. She asked me that question, Matt, are you saved? And I just cried. I said, no, I'm not. So that day in their living room, I accepted Christ into my heart. It was no kidding. Memorial weekend in 2012. And so crazy time that I'm going through a divorce, yet my mother-in-law is the one who's leading me to God. <laughs> <laughs> and so... Crazy time. Um, but I ended up in Albany, um, decided, okay, fine. If she's going to think that I stepped out, that I did this, that I did that, I'm just going to live the life that she thought I was living mm -hmm. and wanted to fulfill that peace in me. And so I did. I was drinking a lot. I was going to strip clubs. I was meeting girls, just hanging out, doing whatever I wanted. But yet there was this emptiness. There was this hole. It wasn't filling. So after I attempted that sixth attempt at suicide, which a coworker, I was on the third floor of one of the buildings we were tearing down, a bunch of rebar sticking up. I tried to hang myself before, so I was like, okay, I'm gonna use a chintzy rope because a rope will break, I'll land on those spikes, I should die no matter what. Right as I went to take my step, I didn't hear them come up behind me. My foot was over the ledge, I was in forward motion, they grabbed my vest and yanked me back, right off the edge. I didn't know they were there. Hmm. So crazy happenstance that God said, no, not yet. Again, 
And this is years later. But again, he said, not yet. So they looked at me in the eyes and they said, Matt, you need help. And if you don't get it, we're going to report you to the foreman and you're off this job site. So I met a couple of people in Albany. They go to Jefferson Baptist Church and they had invited me before. Hey, come check out this church. You got to check out this church. So I said, okay, I'll go. So the first service I was there, they were singing a song called God Awaken Our City, Awaken Our Hearts to You. And it just spoke revival into my soul of I need that. So I started going every Sunday, every Sunday, every Sunday, eventually joined the worship team and how I met my wife. So the roundabout story, how I met my wife, I was riding my bike because I was not good with money, spent a lot of my money, wasted it. So I was riding my bike because I didn't have the gas and on my way to church, I'm in a shirt and tie, starts raining. Oh no. Halfway there, it just starts raining. So I had that choice. Do I go back and get the car, dry off, get new clothes, or do I go? And then just sing on the worship team wet. And I was like, I don't have time. I just, we're just going to go. So I'm going and her and her parents pass me as I'm on my way to church. And she has this thought in her mind, who's that crazy guy riding his bike to church in the rain? So she started having a conversation with her mom and her mom's like, oh yeah, that's Matt. He's new to the church. He's on the worship team now. And so that Sunday they invited me over for lunch. And that's what her family does is they find people who need somewhere to go, need a home, need mm. a family, need love. Yeah. And they just invite them in and they share a meal. And so that's what we do for the holidays. That's what we do for birthdays. It's just what we do is we yeah. invite people into the home and have a meal. So I started going every Sunday, hanging out, playing games, getting to know the family. And then Janita and I started connecting outside of that. We'd go to the movies. We'd go have a bite to eat. We'd go play mini golf. Mm. And it was fun. We just had a great time hanging out. And Easter Sunday, so that was in October, Easter Sunday, where we're sitting over there. We're at the bar of the kitchen, and we're just laughing, looking at stuff on Facebook. And her mom looks at us and says, are you guys dating yet? (laughs) And we look at each other at the same time and just shrug our shoulders. I guess. I guess. (laughs) So... Nothing we ever really thought about. We just were enjoying each other's company, hanging yeah. out. And so that's how God opened that door to bring her into my life was mm. coming back to him, coming back to church. Yeah. So how long did you go to Jefferson Baptist? I mean, I love D. Duke and he's just a great man of God. Yeah. So I was there from 2012 until October of 2013. I actually ended up moving to Salem. Yeah. And so at that point, I started going to Salem First Baptist. She still lived with her parents in Jefferson, so she's going to Jefferson Baptist. Um, and then while I was in Salem, I ended up taking a job as a maintenance manager of Devonshire Court Apartments, mm-hmm. and that's when I met Kathy King. Um, so I'm sitting there. It's a month before my wedding. I got really sick two days right after my birthday, and my uh, biological dad called me and he said, man, you just don't sound like you're doing well. I'm going to take you to the e- uh, emergency room. So he takes takes me over to the emergency room and they start doing some tests and find out I need to have emergency appendix surgery. Oh, no. So my appendix had swelled up to the size of a small potato, which is supposed to be the size of your pinky. Okay. So really small and it's big. And so they put me in, put me under. And during that surgery, I actually almost died. So my heart spiked at 198 beats a minute. They said at 210, you flatline. And so they spent what was supposed to be a 15-minute surgery, an hour and a half trying to figure out what the heck is going on. Why is he trying to die while under the knife? And so I spent four days in the hospital. They ran a bunch of tests, found out I had two thyroid diseases that were causing a lot of issues, which is what caused my appendix to go out. So 
all of that, I ended up two surgeries. But during the recovery of one, I met Kathy King, who lived at the same apartment complex. Mm -hmm. And then I met her husband and started a relationship with them a month later. And they were an older older couple. Okay. I don't remember. I guess I could count backwards. She's 67 now. um, And her husband, a little bit younger. I think he was in his late 50s when he passed away. Yeah. Um, But I met them, created relationships, started hanging out with her husband. And he really loved that because he didn't have people that would just be with him for him. Yeah. And so we would watch old TV shows and old movies. That was his favorite, Andy Griffith and the Dick Van Dyke and Mary Tyler Moore show. So that's what we watched. And there were times where we would get the hankering for something to eat or like 11, 12 at night and hop on his wheelchair over to McDonald's and get a snack. And so super, super fun for that. But um, in September of that year, Kathy was gone with a friend picking up some people that were all going to come over. And he had a heart attack in his living room and passed away. No way. While she was away. While she was away. And her biggest regret that she still struggles with is uh, that she didn't say I love you on the last phone conversation they had. So to to this day, she says it like six or seven times before she hangs up the phone because she doesn't want to miss that opportunity to let you know that she loves you. Mm, she I doesn't you. want that to yeah. to fall short anytime she talks to somebody. That probably speaks to you too, being married, uh, just whoever you're talking with, just to say those words. Yeah. Now, now go back real quick. Uh, you go back and talk to your biological dad. Mm-hmm. Remind me of that story there, how you reconnect with your biological dad? Because I don't think we talked about that yet. Yeah. So in 2012, right at the end of 2012, going into 2013, um, I was doing an Easter play at our church, um, which happened in 2013. But in 2012, my sister reconnected with them, Okay, um, Amanda. And I had told her, that, I mean, great for you. I met my biological mom, but I hadn't met my dad. Because they divorced. Because they were divorced, yeah. My sister was living with my biological mom, so I had met her, but I didn't really have a relationship yet, but I didn't want anything to do with him. He was the one that did the abuse. He's the one that hurt us. I had no desire in my heart to have him in my life. And again, that all goes back to that forgiveness piece, and Mm. so that comes up in a minute. But in 2013, she got married, and she wanted me at the wedding, wanted my sister Sarah at the wedding, and we said, okay, we'll go, but we don't want them to come. We know you have that relationship but we don't want them to be a part of it. And she agreed. She said, okay. Well, what she ended up doing is she invited them to the wedding anyways. And so they showed up that day. First time I had seen them since I was six. Hmm. I hadn't seen them since. And I was angry. I was so mad that she did that to us. And my sister Sarah wanted to walk out. She's like, I don't want any part of this. And I had to calm her down and say, okay, yeah, here's our feelings. This is what we don't want, but we're here for Amanda. Mm -hmm. Let's just get through it. She says they're not going to stay. So let's just grit our teeth and just do it. So we did. We we did it. And so um, that year, 2013, we started the Easter pl- uh, play at Jefferson Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. And D. Duke, with the five days of prayer, I mean, really big on prayer. Mm-hmm. I was sitting in one of the morning sessions, and he asked the question, is there somebody in your life that you want to invite to this play? And God put on my my heart Daniel Hendricks. And there was, I was like, in my mind, I was like, there's no way I'm going to write this on a piece of paper. No, I'm not going to pray for him to be there. And I wrote it on the piece of paper and submitted it. And so the room started to pray for him and started to pray for him and started to pray for him for a whole week. Hmm. So I finally said, okay, I'm going to invite him. So it was finally Friday that I reached out and said, hey, I'm doing this Easter play. I got his number from my sister, Amanda. I, I want you guys to come. 
And at that point, my dad and mom had started dating again. So they came Crazy. together, saw me do the play. They waited at the very back edge of the lobby at the end, uh, allowed me to come and say hello to them. I thanked them for coming, and then they left. That was about as much interaction as we had. It was really awkward, really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I didn't want it, yeah. but we had that little interaction. And then the next day, I just had it on my mind, go see them. And so on Monday, I rode my bike because, again, I knew where they lived. I was still in Albany at that time. I rode over to their apartment, and he was tending to a community garden behind their apartment building. And I said, you know what? I don't know if this is for you or for me, but I want to let you know I forgive you for what you did, and I'd like to move forward. Wow. So we sat there and we talked about just everything that had happened from when I was a kid all the way up to that point. I just poured everything out. And it was finally two in the morning and we said, okay, let's walk forward. So we left that all in the past and we just started walking forward. Mm. And some of my siblings can't do that still. Some of them are starting relationships, but they're not at that point yet. But we decided it was time to just live, time to have life. Mm. And so we did. And so the, the crazy part is in 2013, they ended up getting remarried to each other. And so my wife, who at the time was my fiance, mm -hmm. Uh, she made the wedding cake. I played the piano for my mom to walk down the aisle. And my dad said, will you be my best man? No way. So I stood next to them as they recommitted their vows. They got remarried and we've been in relationship ever since. Well, it's quite a redemptive story. I mean, you can't make that stuff up. No. I don't think the flesh would have allowed you to do that. It just shows that God had to play a part in that. Yeah. There's no way otherwise. What's really cool on that redemptive piece. Yeah. They never thought they would ever have a relationship with all six kids. And today, they have conversation relationship with all six kids. Sweet. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So they're still alive. They're still married. And yeah, still alive, still married. They still live in Albany. They uh, continue to serve in their local church down there. They continue to love people. Yeah. I mean, you still hang out with them? I still hang out with them when I can. Yeah. Business yeah. really has taken off lately, and so it's getting a little bit more challenging to find those moments, but we talk pretty often. They're yeah. actually in Colorado right now visiting their grandkids. Yeah. That's which awesome. is really interesting because they're actually in Colorado with my adopted mom and some of my adopted siblings because one of my adopted sisters adopted my biological sister's kids because she had her kids taken away recently. Wow. And so God opened those doors for them to all connect. And now that's where they're at is they're hanging out with them. <laughs> okay. That's crazy. Yeah. Hey, let's talk about um, Miller's Barbecue. I know you're writing a book. So mm -hmm. maybe we can talk about, you know, tell me about your book a little bit. But I think behind Miller's Barbecue, that's the reason why you're writing the book. There's a yeah. story. So let's, let's walk through that real quick. I want to, I want you to unpack a little bit. What is Miller's Barbecue? I know you have a passion for food, for loving people, uh, like Kathy and her mom. That's a great yeah. story. Tell me about that. I want to hear more about that. Yeah. So uh, the Kathy and her mom. So uh, in would have been 2018. Okay. So I'd met Kathy at the apartment complex, grew a relationship with her and her husband. Her husband passed away. Janita and I took a job at a Christian camp. We left for two years. She ended up with a family that took advantage of her. They ended up taking all his life insurance money. Uh, her mom moved in for about a month before they were threatened at gunpoint with their life, and they left. Um, she moved in with her mom. Her mom had been taking care of her then for a few months now, 
And her mom said, is there anybody from Devonshire you want to reach out to? And she said, yeah, Matt and Shanita. Hmm. And at that point, it, we had been at the camp for a little over a year. And about every three months, I would send her a message on Facebook and say, hey, I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. I hope you're doing okay. I had no idea what was going on. Yeah. But they kept her from Facebook. They said, you can't have access. You can't do this. You can't do that. So they just restricted her life. And at that point, she hopped on. I had just sent a message two days prior. And so she reached out. We reconnected. And so Janita and I drove up to Portland, went and had lunch with her and her mom. And then we told her mom, you know, if anything ever happens to you or you're ready to have Kathy move out, we'll take Kathy. Yeah. And it was something that we just felt passionate about to take care of. Kathy and where yeah. she was at. And at the time, I mean, I've had a relationship with her for a little while, but I didn't know uh, all of her story. I didn't know all of her mental status being a little bit disabled, slightly on the spectrum. And so trying to deal with all that, I didn't know it all yet. In 2017, we finished our time at the camp. We lived in Dallas, Oregon for about a year and we continued building relationship with her and her mom. And then her mom said, okay, I'm ready. I want to move into an independent living you know, be on my own again, just have to worry about me. Mm. And she's 93 years old. You know, I can't blame her for yeah. that. And so we said, perfect, we'll take Kathy. So in January of 2018, we moved to Salem, found a home that Kathy could move into with us, and we moved Kathy into our home. So over the next five years, we started to unpack this trauma and this abuse that she had gone through in her life. And I think God did that on purpose. I had that past. Yeah. And now I get to use my life to help her unpack her past. So when she first moved in, she was on suicide watch for the first three, four, five months. And it was stay up until two or three in the morning till she would fall asleep. And then I went to work at 6 a.m., worked my full day, came home and would sit there again for eight, nine, ten hours, just suicide watch and unpacking and processing all these emotions and after five and a half years now, she serves full-time in a nonprofit child evangelism fellowship with my really good friend, Jeff. She's volunteering her time working with my business because she's like, I want to help you. I want to mm. see this grow. I want to yeah. be a part of it. And so there's some days I, I have to remind her, Kathy, you're, you're 66. Your body can't do all of this. Right. You need to rest. No, but I want to be a part of it. And so that's been kind of a fun journey to help her understand her body and what her self-care needs are. Mm -hmm. Um, but a couple of years ago, her mom said, man, I've seen the transformation in my daughter's life. I want to be a part of it. So at 95, her mom came down, watched her daughter get baptized at Salem first Baptist church. And uh, one of the pastors there, Jim started to talk with her and he ended up leading her to the Lord at 95 years old. No way. Yeah. Sitting in the church. Are you kidding? And so that was a really cool moment. And then a year later, her mom moved in with us full time and has just been with us now for two years. She's 97 now? Uh, 98. 98. Yeah. She'll be 99 in October. She's and still doing she doesn't take any medication. She can walk. She knits. She plays Scrabble on her phone. She loves judge shows, so she watches judge shows from like yeah. 11 to 5. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> judge Judy. Yep. She loves it. It's her favorite. No kidding. So. Isn't that great? Yeah, it's crazy. So then I start up this business. And how that all kind of came about is I was doing a big uh, men's dinner at our church, our sportsman's dinner we do every year. Yeah. And I cooked brisket for 530 guys, and I thought it was great. I was working a job down in Albany at the time, so I went to work the following Monday, 
And they called me into HR's office and said, hey, we want to thank you for all your work, everything you've done. Here's your severance. Bye. See ya. And I'm like, what the heck just happened? I mean, I kind of had an idea something was coming just because of some of the hires they were making. Mm -hmm. Um, But they ended up letting go 13 people that day. And I was one of them. Okay. So I sat there. I'm like, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. Part of it, I was relieved. I mean, I was working, again, 90 hours a week for that company. It's gone up from 4 a.m. to 8 or 9 p.m. at night, six days a week, sometimes seven. I was a supervisor of 16 people. So I'm trying to make all this stuff happen, trying to just do it myself, essentially. Yeah. Um, and they ended up hiring a manager to kind of do my job, but to help manage it all better. Um, so fortunately for me, I, I knew I wasn't pre- equipped or prepared to do what I was doing. And so I felt relieved that it happened. But at right. the same time, I'm like, okay, what am I doing now? And a week later, I started to meet with some of the pastors at church after I unwound and unplugged from everything I was doing, recalibrated my mind and my life again back to, okay, I've got a family. I've got people to take care of. What am I going to do? Met with Pastor Leon over at Salem First, and he said, hey, there's this guy. He came to the dinner. He wants to talk to you. So I reached out. His name's David Harrison with Harrison Consulting. And he said, Matt, you're really good at what you do. Your food's amazing. You should go into business. And I'm like, uh, I don't know. He's like, no, 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 no. You should go into business, and I want to help you do it. Hmm. That was the first time somebody had said, I want to help you do it. I've had people say, you should start a business. Oh, do an LLC. Oh, do this. You're going to be great. First time somebody said, and I want to help you do it. Hmm. So I had prayed about it. It was a Saturday morning. I was awoken really early, kind of just had this weight on my chest and the thought going through my mind, look into it, look into it, look into it. And so I finally was like, okay, God, fine. I'll get up. I'll look into it. So I started researching food trucks, catering, you know, what it would take to do something like that. And I realized I was like, we could do it. So I woke my wife up at 830. We had $700 and I said, honey, 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 we could do it. So her caveat was, okay, if that's what you're feeling, if that's what you think God's leading you to do, I'll back you, but here's your timeline. Okay. I was with my severance check. I was paid till the end of May. So this is March. Of what year? Of last year. Of last year. Last year. year. Yeah. So I was paid till the end of May. It's in the middle of March right now. She said, you have till the end of May to make a profit. That's what she said. Make a profit. I don't care if it's a dollar. Nope. So she said, if that's something you think God's leading you to do, here's your timeline. And I just want you to make a profit. So I said, okay. So I uh, licensed the name, uh, got my sole proprietorship, got my business licensing, did all of the fees. And then I just started networking, started meeting people. And I didn't take my first catering job until the second week of May. Hmm. So I was like, I don't know what it's going to look like, but this is what I'm doing. So all I did for the first month was just meet people, talk to people, share my story, share my passion, what I want to do. And then I took my first job and then my second job. And then I did 13 in May. You did 13 in 13 in May. Hmm. And then it was 16 in June. And then I did 18 in July, then 26 in August. And I just started growing and it was insane. But the story behind what I want to do is the reason I wanted to start the business is I've had this desire and this passion from even back working at the camp is I want to help foster kids. Hmm. I want to work with people with disabilities. And I want to work with people like my dad who are incarcerated, who need to be given a second chance. Mm. And with all three of those groups, really show them that they have value, they have worth, they have a purpose. 
outside of what people in society have told them, yeah. you don't have any worth. You're just a foster kid. How are you valuable? Or you you have autism. There's nothing you can do. You're too slow. You're not quick enough. But there's things they're good at. Or you screwed up your life. You're a felon. You went to prison. What use are you to me? Mm-hmm. But they still have purpose. God yeah. created them. They still have a plan. That's right. And so helping them to discover that and reestablish self-worth and self-esteem and value in their life. And so what I want to do is I actually want to open up eight or nine restaurants up and down the I-5 corridor, solely fully focused on hiring these individuals and Mm -hmm. bringing them into an environment where they're loved and they're cared for and they're encouraged and valued and shown you have a place. And so I actually have a vision of a nonprofit I want to start through all of this. So mm-hmm. I have the restaurants going, have the catering going, and then have a nonprofit that's kind of an adjunct to it. It's a two-year program where they come in. It's similar to like Valor Mentoring, but mm-hmm. they come in, they get two years on-the-job training, partner with Chemeketa or a local community college, whatever town it's in, yeah. where they sign off and say, yep, they completed two years on-the-job training. Here's your certificate. It's not a degree, yeah. but they can take that towards a job. Yeah. While they're doing that, we connect them with financial education. We teach them how to manage the money that they're earning and how to use the resources that God's giving them. We also teach them how to build their credit, how to apply for loans, how to just live life. Foster kids coming out of the system, it's like, okay, good luck. Yeah. What do you do with life? I mean, how do I do this? So we teach them how to manage their money. We then also get them into housing, partially stipend by the nonprofit but also stipend by them. We want them to put skin in the game. We want them to pay a rent every month. It might not be a lot, but we want them to build that habit, that routine. So after these two years, they have job training, they have a certificate in whatever job field they want to be in, whether it's being a broker, whether it's being a construction person, I reach out to these companies where we partner and we say, I just want one job, one spot that you'd be willing to allow somebody to come and learn. Hmm. While they learn that job, they earn money. We teach them how to manage it. Yeah. We get them into housing. They finish two years, and now they can take a step back into society as their own individual with value, with worth, mm-hmm. with experience and expertise in something. And then we're still there backing them 100% saying, go get them. You've got this. And we're supporting them, and we're cheering for them, and we're their, their cheer squad, essentially. Yeah. But now they can go do it on their own, knowing that they can do it. Wow. You're giving these foster kids an opportunity um, to build confidence. And really, I, I'm sure you want to share your faith, and that's probably yeah. the bigger purpose, but uh, you're giving you're giving kids that didn't have a, any hope, hope. Yeah. That's pretty and cool. And I want to live my life where they see that. So it's not necessarily a Christian-based nonprofit totally or Christian-based business, yeah. but it's on my arms. Yeah. I have tattoos on my arms that – One's a Hebrew word. The word is shachah, which is to prostrate, to bow down. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess he is Lord. This is why I was created, was to confess and to mm. claim Jesus in my life. Yeah. The other one's a tree, and it symbolizes the roots of my past, the things that I've gone through. There's a banner across the front that, or in the middle that says, new in Christ. Yeah. So God taking all that past of my roots right. through the banner of Christ into a beautiful tree, growing something new. So it's got 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. Hmm. So I have my testimony on my arms, and people ask me all the time, and it opens that door oh. to have that conversation to say, yeah, this is what it is. This is what it means. This is why I got it. Hmm. So it's not a faith-based organization, 
but definitely God will be in the in the whole midst I of it. I get it. Yeah, yeah, and that totally makes sense to me. Well, let's talk about. Uh, I mean, this is great. I love hearing your your story. The book that you're writing. Walk us through the book real quick, and we'll kind of end on on what that means to you. And I'm sure it'll tell a little bit more of the story of of, of your vision. But walk us through. I think there's four chapters you said. Yeah, so it's going to be a short book, uh, not super long, but it's titled Behind the Why. So what I've noticed over the last year is people ask me, why? Why did you start Miller's Barbecue? Why do you want to do that? Why do you want to do this? And it's, it's kind of spoke to me of, okay, I need to tell people my why. And again, it's one of those things people have said, man, you've got such a story, you should write a book. And I, again, drag my feet, oh, I don't know, I don't know. And so the, the idea behind the book came, I got up at 2.30 in the morning to smoke some meat, I was tending to the fire, and the idea, this is what you should name your book. Mm -hmm. And all four chapter names came to mind, and I sat down that morning and just started typing. Yeah. Next thing I knew, it was 5.30 in the morning, and I hadn't slept for three hours, and I typed the first six pages of the book. Introduction, ch first chapter, six pages. I yeah. was like, oh my gosh. So I just kept going. Um, but the title of the book is called Behind the Why. So it's really telling my story. Mm -hmm. So chapter one is titled Behind Me. Tell the story of me, why I am who I am, what I've come through. All the details. All we the details. Yeah. All the dirty nitty gritty. I'm not going to hide anything. Yeah. I've just it's now shared short. a bunch on, on the air. So yeah, it's <laughs> live now. Can't hide it. Um, chapter two, behind the business. How the business got its start, but also where the business is at currently by the time I finish writing that chapter. Yeah. Everything we've gone through, some of the ups, the downs, the good, the bad. Chapter three is going to be behind the vision. So you have behind the business, how the business started, what's the vision of it? So some of what I just shared and really going into detail mm -hmm. of how I want to do it, where I want to go, how big I want it to become. And then chapter four titled behind the future. Hmm. Chapter four is going to be my unwritten chapter. It's going to just be a closing paragraph because I don't know what the future holds. God That's knows. Right. Only God knows. I have my, my hopes and my desires and what I wish to see but I don't know it. So leaving it open to then allow me 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road to write a th second book saying, this is what happened. This is what God did. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I like that you're leaving it in God's hands. By the way, God can do more things than we can do Oh yeah, through us if we'll let him. And I think that's what you're saying. Like, Lord, this is your show. What do you want to do? Yeah. But that second book will be interesting. What did God do? Yeah. What, what did he do with what it? What did he do? This is really, it's hard to hear what you went through. I'm uh, I'm sorry that you went through that, but I know that God uses all things for his glory. Mm -hmm. I was on the way here this morning, I was praying and the verse that came to mind is all things work for the good for those who love God and love Christ, but all things work for, for the good. Yeah. Even your situation, whatever you went through, well, you now can share with Kathy, you can also share with other foster kids or people who are in prison. You've suicide. Yeah. All of it. I mean, some heavy stuff. Yeah. But I see a smile on your face and and that's God. Without God, it's not possible. Yeah, 100%. No and as much as you wanted to commit suicide and end your life, God had a purpose for your life and he wasn't done with you. Mm-mm. And it's so fun to see just over this last year. I mean, it's insane to me where I started with $700 and to see we're about to open a cafe next month. Next month, and to, to August. See, yeah, to see that I've done a catering business. 
I have a food truck that went live 10 weeks ago. I hired a, my first employee. I'm about to open a cafe, hire a second employee. And I actually have an interview today with a third employee. And just to see what's happened in a year and three months. Hmm. It's insane. God so is amazing. Your first employee is that a guy named Jason? Yeah, Jason Smar. Jason um, Smar. Met yep, him in the man. community doing the, the networking stuff. Just watched him over the last year, how he interacted with people, his yeah, love for people. people. And I was like, you know, you can't teach that. I can teach restaurant stuff. Yeah. But you can't teach that compassion and the empathy. Yeah. And when he came to my food trailer one day and said, yeah, I just found out today I'm losing my job as a teacher. Perfect it timing. At the exact same time, I was thinking I need to hire somebody. Hmm. So I just said, Jason, I want you. It's crazy. Well, brother, this is heavy. This is a, it's a great story. Thanks, thanks for being vulnerable to share your story, your life. Uh, it's not easy. And yeah. it's going to impact people. And what you went through is different than what I've gone through. I've gone through stuff too in my life, but it's different than your story. Yeah. And so this is going to impact someone. I certainly hope so. Yeah. We'll be praying for you. Hey, if somebody wants to reach out and learn more about you, Matt, uh, maybe well, how to hire you to to do a, an event or oh, yeah. or just to hear more of your story or, gee, I'm struggling with suicide or I was in foster care being abused. I mean, I, it sounds like somebody could reach out to you and have a really long conversation with you. Yeah, definitely. How would you want somebody to contact you? Yeah, so I got a couple of ways. Um, I have my email is millers, M-I-L-L-E-R-S dot B-B-Q dot Salem at gmail.com. Um, definitely a great way to get hold of me there. Um, but I also have my phone number. I hand it out to everybody. Yeah. It's on my website. It's 541-971-0789. Texting is probably the best because it yeah. allows me time to respond to it. But yeah, both of those ways are the easiest to get a hold of me. Yeah. Well, dude, we're going to be watching you. I can't wait to watch the, the you, you say it's a cafe or yeah. a restaurant. Oh, no, it's a cafe to start. Cafe. I never thought I'd do that, but God opened up this door. Yeah. It's an amazing opportunity. So I'm just going to walk through and I'm going to be serving breakfast as a barbecue guy. So <laughs> it's going to be dude, interesting. I can't wait, man. I, I promise you I'll be there. I'll bring my friend Tim Davis and we'll bring Camden along too. We'll, We'll grab breakfast with you. Hey, I've got uh, brisket breakfast burritos. They're going to be I'm good. I'm ready, man. You're making me hungry. <laughs> Well, brother, it's been a real joy meeting with you, getting to know you. Um, yeah, it's just, it's heavy. I, I loved hearing your story. Thank you. Um, yeah, I love sharing it. It's going to definitely impact somebody. But hey, we thank you for each week, all of you that listen and uh, join in. And again, we do pray that this impacts someone. This is a heavy one today, so uh, share it with those who might need to hear it. And again, we look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks so much.